Thank you for listening to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. For copyright and disclaimers, as well as information about how to contact the iCritical Care staff, please listen to the notice at the end of this podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Savell. Our guest today is Dr. Judith Jacoby, PharmD, BCPS, FCCM. She is the incoming president of the Society of Critical Care Medicine for 2010, and her current clinical position is as the critical care pharmacy specialist for the adult critical care and neurocritical care units at Methodist Hospital of Indiana. She's joining us today to allow the, an opportunity for the members of SCCM to get to know her a little bit better, as well as for her to share her vision for the society for this year. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. I'm very happy to be here. Uh, I thought we'd begin, as, as we usually do with these, to give you an opportunity to share a little bit of your background with the members of SCCM. I know you did this a little bit in your presidential address, and it was particularly fascinating and how you ended up uh, in the field of critical care medicine. Well, growing up, my grandfather had a little corner pharmacy, and uh, that really was my first introduction to the world of pharmacy. I had uh, the opportunity to work with a another family friend in their uh, local pharmacy and uh, really begin to experience uh, the uh, availability of retail pharmacy and see the relationship that they had built with the clients in their neighborhood. So uh, having a scientific bent, I decided to pursue pharmacy uh, for my career and left Wisconsin and went to Purdue, one of the top pharmacy schools in the country, and uh, had a, a great uh, pharmacy education there, but uh, by the time we were done with school, wasn't really sure what my direction would be, and one of my professors had me shadow a pharmacist in a hospital in Indianapolis, and that really was uh, eye-opening for me uh, as uh, what I really wanted to pursue uh, the world of, of hospital pharmacy work. I went to graduate school at the University of Minnesota, and my first rotation was in critical care. We had a lottery for assignments, and so it was just chance that I ended up there and and really found uh, the environment, uh, the people uh, to be uh, exciting and compelling, and that uh, is where I wanted to spend the rest of my career, and so moved from there to Ohio State and worked with Joe Dasta uh, in his very first critical care fellowship, uh, predominantly in the, the surgical and cardiac ICUs, but also medical ICU at The Ohio State University, and uh, really learned the breadth and depth of, of things that could potentially be done in critical care pharmacy, but it was really a new concept at that point. And, and again, just, just hearing you talk, and in my personal experience as a intensivist, I mean, the role of the uh, critical care pharmacist can be just absolutely so crucial, and there can be so many different levels of complexity where uh, having an expert focusing in on these uh, issues where, you know, the drugs changing over time, um, how the drugs are being dosed, even if they're the same drugs over time change, and then 
the patient's clinical status changing over time. And, uh, you know, this is sort of my daily situation where we're coordinating with trainees who may be asking, well, you know, I don't understand how we're supposed to be dosing this uh, this aminoglycoside or, or, or drugs that may be on the list for a patient, but because they haven't needed to receive it in a couple of days, making sure they don't fall off. And so uh, it's just nearly endless the number of things I can think about where the critical care pharmacist can be so life-saving. Well, I, I had the uh, benefit of really good training in clinical pharmacokinetics, and uh, it really, I know for a lot of pharmacy students, they get intimidated by calculations and different formulas, uh, but truly, truly, uh, once you understand the basics there, our job becomes to predict what the patient's going to need tomorrow, and and that's really, to me, where uh, drug dosing becomes fun, uh, because it's it's knowing enough about where you've been, but mostly anticipating what the needs are tomorrow. And and uh, and then the other issue which comes up that I just left out is the pharmacoeconomic pressures in terms of how hospitals decide what they should have and balancing that with what we need and, and physicians saying we need the newest thing and. and I, I do see pharmacy sort of as the voice of reason sometimes on a lot of these issues, helping to figure out how we as an institution should be going forward on a lot of these complex and often extremely expensive issues, right? Oh, indeed, indeed. And I uh, love the term uh, uh, antibiotic stewardship. I think the stewardship notion applies to all the drugs we use. And uh, what we're really trying to do is is make the best use of all our resources for the patient. And uh, although all the my department doesn't always support it really truly efficient care is more cost effective in many cases than picking the cheapest compound and uh, luckily I've been in an environment that really promotes that approach to patient care uh, where sometimes it's appropriate to use the more expensive drug and get to an end point more quickly and uh, so it's really a balancing of of all those needs uh, but always keeping the patient's needs in the forefront. I thought as a next talking point uh, that might be valuable for the listeners is to hear a little bit about how you initially got involved with SCCM and um, what your path within SCCM has been over the years and, and what's been uh, sort of most gratifying and, and helped keep you, uh, keep you involved in the society. Well, having the opportunity to work with Joe Dasta, uh, who was uh, recognized as uh, the SCCM Distinguished Investigator this year, uh, so he certainly has quite an honor in his own right, but he was already attending the Society of Critical Care Medicine meetings, and and so as his trainee, I was introduced to the organization uh, in that way, Uh, started attending meetings, and there were literally five or fewer far at those early meetings, and uh, we kept talking it up with our colleagues, uh, and uh, pretty soon there were 12 of us, and we were mentored by uh, some of the leadership of the organization. Uh, Dr. Bart Chernow, in particular, was very instrumental in helping us organize uh, and develop uh, a section, and the leadership of the society, uh, when we petitioned to have a pharmacy section, uh, was very encouraging 
housing and allowed us to do that. And uh, the numbers then grew through word of mouth. And as we began to train more of our own uh, critical care pharmacists to the point now where the pharmacy section has over a thousand members. And, and it's really exciting and gratifying to see that growth, knowing how incredibly humble our beginnings were. And you mentioned a, um, a pharmacy critical care fellowship, and I was wondering if you might uh, talk maybe for a couple minutes about uh, how pharmacists can get uh, formal training and, and to become uh pharmacists in intensive care units? Uh, the pathway for most pharmacy training is after the doctor of pharmacy program to do a one-year uh, general residency or PGY one year and then uh, selected individuals are interested in pursuing a variety of specialty areas and it really parallels uh, all of the specialty areas in medicine uh, but uh, critical care uh, there are uh, oh, approximately 60 positions for residents, 60 sites that train residents around the country, probably not nearly enough for the number of hospitals that have recognized uh, the important contributions of pharmacists. And uh, in addition, there are some fellowship training opportunities as well that focus more uh, on research along with uh, uh, clinical care. And uh, so that's the pathway that most individuals take. Although there are a lot of great practitioners who've just gotten on-the-job training and learned the area themselves. One of the other um, issues that I wanted to ask you about is uh, I've been practicing in New York City uh, for my career, and my perception uh, is that there is a significant shortage, certainly, of critical care pharmacists, but I believe there's also a shortage just of pharmacists in general, and, although I'm not sure, and I was wondering if you might talk about that because it, it seems to be one of the more pressing issues wherever I've been practicing in New York City and that there is sort of whenever we have our, our faculty meetings and talk about, you know, what is missing from this unit is that we just, we, we, we have a, a pharmacist, but they might not be able to be covering enough or, or that kind of issue. So I was wondering if you could address that topic for a little bit. Well, nationally, uh, the majority of pharmacists end up in some type of uh, retail or dispensing type of activity. And as the population has aged and has needed more prescriptions, uh, that has created a shortage of pharmacists. In, in many areas. In addition, there are so many opportunities, nursing homes, industry, there are a variety of directions that pharmacists can go after their training. And so we get what we think are the most highly motivated uh, young pharmacists uh, interested in hospital pharmacy as well as critical care. Uh, but uh, be, as you alluded to, there are so many expensive medications and complex therapies uh, that we're gratified to see that we need a lot more pharmacists in critical care and uh, so certainly uh, have done our best to expand those training sites. But the demand is clearly there, right? Oh, absolutely. There's demand everywhere. Uh, not a problem getting a job for our uh, residency uh, graduates. Um, I thought for the next part of the uh, podcast, I would let you, uh, as the, the leader for this year, help talk to members of SCCM or maybe even people who aren't members yet about um, how and why they should get involved with SCCM and how they can uh, use being involved to make the, their personal and professional 
careers better and and help patients. Maybe if you could talk about that for a little bit. Absolutely. Uh, My pathway was through sections, and uh, certainly the pharmacy section, uh, as one example, is a very busy group. Uh, We have a lot of subcommittees even within our section, and use that as a way to introduce our young practitioners to a variety of uh, projects and and let them really feel uh, a part of the section and a part of the organization. Other sections uh, have a little less of that uh, activity going on, but there certainly are avenues where interested volunteers can sign up for SCCM committees, and we do that electronically through the website. Uh, the deadline is usually about mid-May. And uh, my job this past year as president-elect was to place the volunteers on committees, and we pretty much accomplish getting every volunteer on a committee. And it's, so that's a good introduction to some of the basic structure uh, of the organization organization. And uh, through the committees, uh, we have a lot of our leadership who have uh, excelled and contributed and and found more and more activities within the organization. And um, approximately how many people apply and get on these committees? It's a a small percentage of the total membership of SCCM, right? And we're always looking to expand that, correct? Correct, correct. I think uh, we had uh, oh, at least uh, 300 to 400 people that applied uh, as volunteers to be placed on committees. And, and so uh, compared to our 14,000 members, it's a small number, but uh, they certainly are, are enthusiastic and dedicated. And uh, other uh, mechanisms uh, that people can be involved uh, are really uh, through uh, some of the things that are available at everyone's desktop. Uh, through the iRoom, we have a variety of forums, and we encourage uh, any member to uh, come in, ask questions, get uh, help, see protocols, uh, a variety of different uh, resources, and of course lend help to others who've asked questions through the iRoom forums. And so that's something that people can do every day. And one of the things I've been trying to do at the, at the Congress is make sure that people know that, that their feedback is important about the annual Congress and that they're emailing back because, you know, that's we're here to make sure that their needs are being met when they certainly come to the annual Congress. And I just thought you'd want to emphasize that. As oh, I, you know, I think that's important and, and the willingness to share as well, share what people have learned at Congress. And uh, now that we've made uh, the presentations available on the website uh, to Congress attendees, uh, yeah, they can uh, certainly share their enthusiasm with their colleagues as well as uh, some of what they've learned while they're here. But yes, we clearly need more feedback on topics of interest. And uh, certainly you, Rich, uh, had an idea for uh, this format of the uh, podcasting and uh, taught us uh, something new. And and so others may have other similarly uh, uh, creative ideas that we can utilize to reach more of our members. I thought I'd let you conclude... um and again, you can take as much time as you need, but this is an important one, is, is your vision for the year, um, starting a new decade, um, issues of health care reform, as we heard from Dr. Miller yesterday, an economic crisis, issues of terrorism, and yet, uh, as, as Dr. Miller was pointing out yesterday, critical care often being the focus uh, of this because of the expense and, and the controversy surrounding often uh, being in an ICU. So 
you'd like to talk about your perception and vision, that would be terrific. Well, I think that one of the, the philosophies I've always had for practice is that uh, the teams that have the best patient outcome are the ones that do a lot of little things well. The basic patient care every day, all the little pieces, attention to detail, uh, keeping everything in place. And so I really think that that's uh, the most important place to start is organizing your team and making sure that the basics are being done. Uh, that will improve efficiency and give your patients the best possible outcome. And uh, so that's really, I think, the most important lesson for all of us going home is make sure that we're up to date and applying uh, the evidence is as best that we can. And uh, oh, the government's going to do what the government's going to do. And, and uh, so um, I, certainly the best thing that individuals could do, though, is to help educate uh, their uh, various representatives and senators about critical care. We don't have a formal advocacy program where we send large numbers of members to the Hill. Uh, but at various times, they're going to visit in your state and in your hometown, and you can invite them to visit your hospital uh, and certainly try and educate them of the complexities of what we face every day so they can make a better and more informed decision. But it was my understanding, though, that the uh, one of the important roles of the Society of Critical Care Medicine is to work with its sister organizations, the American College of Chest Physicians and the American Academy of Critical Care Nurses to help present a unified voice uh, to the extent that it can be unified to government agencies to help uh, advocate for members of the multidisciplinary team? Uh, correct. Uh, along with the uh, American Thoracic Society, uh, we formed the Critical Care Society's Collaborative. And uh, this group has been uh, effective uh, in discussions with Dr. Don Wright from Health and Human Services to talk about how we as our collective organizations can help their mission of uh, creating programs to reduce ventilator-associated pneumonia and prevent bloodstream infections. And uh, we think we're entering a new era to give us the opportunity to work as a partner with government, government to help them develop performance improvement indicators uh, for the future. So it's a very exciting time to be able to, to work with uh, the government in that area. Well, Dr. Jacoby, this really has been a, a delightful and, and very important discussion. As I mentioned before, historic uh, given your position as president. I was wondering if you had any final comments for the members of SCCM. You know, I think that uh, members need to really recognize what a unique organization this is. Uh, your leadership is now an uh, internal medicine physician, a pharmacist, an anesthesiologist, a surgeon, and a nurse. And uh, the value that we place on the critical care team extends uh, to the leadership of this organization. And so we hope that our members realize the value of their critical care team and encourage uh, more of their colleagues, certainly to join the society, but at least participate in some of the activities that we have to offer. Today, I had the distinct honor of speaking with Dr. Judith Jacoby, PharmD, BCPS, FCCM. She is the president of the Society of Critical Care and Medicine for 2010. And thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Rich.
This concludes another edition of the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. Please check out our website at www.sccm.org slash iCriticalCare for more information, as well as access to over four years of archived podcasts. For the iCritical Care podcast, I'm Dr. Richard Savell. Join or renew your membership with SCCM, the only multi-professional society dedicated exclusively to the advancement of critical care. Members receive discounts on all SCCM educational programs and resources. Please ask to speak to a customer service representative or visit www.sccm.org for more information. The iCritical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members. Your host is the Society's Associate Editor for Podcasts, Richard Savell, MD, FCCM. Dr. Savell is the Medical Co-Director of the Surgical Intensive Care Unit at Montefiore Medical Center in New York City practicing under the leadership of Vladimir Kavetin, MDFCCM. To contact the editorial staff of the iCritical Care podcast with questions, comments, or ideas, please email iCriticalCare at sccm.org or info at sccm.org.